Now, I want to continue to challenge uh, our own congregation particularly, and, if, and you're visiting with us, also encourage you in your prayers. But uh, as uh, we come together uh, doing this series, I see this very much as a covenant together, that we're doing this together, we're walking through this book together, and uh, you're very much part of that, and you will be over the coming weeks. And what I want uh, to happen is that we together are dependent on God's Spirit to take this beautiful book of the Bible which exalts Jesus Christ and go on that journey together. And we all take responsibility for that, that we're all prayed up today as we come into church, that we are spiritually prepared. We say, what will God tell? What will God say to us from His Word today? As you will draw it out uh, from uh, the preaching, and also that you will be dependent, and I will be dependent, and each of us will be dependent on the Holy Spirit to bring us to that point where we have a higher view of Jesus Christ and a more worshipful uh, attitude as a result, not just in here, but in our lives altogether. I really pray that uh, that will be the case. And today, there's kind of two phrases that I would like you to take away. Uh, if you don't remember anything of the finer detail of the sermon, uh, could it be that you uh, take away these two uh, phrases with you and that they will uh, trigger for you some of the other truth of Scripture? And the two phrases that I want us to consider from this chapter today is be focused spiritually and also be vigilant. So be focused spiritually and be vigilant. And that is uh, the framework um, that I would like to look at this chapter uh, under this framework. So be focused. And obviously that is uh, the case as we introduce ourselves to this this chapter, chapter 3, therefore, holy brothers, brothers and sisters, the family of God, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Okay, so that's that's the beginning. Uh, That's the first phrase that I want you to take away is to be focused. Uh, who is it we're to be focused on? Well, you know who, don't you? It's already become very clear and very evident that the beginning of this uh, book of Hebrews is focusing on the supremacy and the glory of Jesus Christ. So, uh, unashamedly, that's the focus. And uh, I, I can't ask you to focus on anyone else or on anything else. That's the focus of this book and will continue to be. And the writer under the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is building a stronger and stronger case for fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. And that is the challenge for us in our lives. Remember that this is written to Jewish Christians. Remember that they had some kind of issue with... Um, They were struggling in their faith. Things were difficult for them. They were persecuted. Jesus, in their eyes, wasn't all he'd been cracked up to be. So they were thinking of drifting back towards more Judaistic principles and away from Jesus Christ. They'd made Jesus Christ smaller. They were shrinking him down. And they were almost, as we saw earlier, they were almost putting him on a par with angels. So because angels were very important to the Jewish uh, to Jude, in Judaism. And so there were some very significant angels, and it was almost that they were putting Jesus on a par with angels. And previously, we, we looked at what the Bible said about that. But here, we also find that uh, the Holy Spirit wants to remind them that Jesus is much, much greater than Moses as well. See, Moses was a great hero of the faith. 
tremendous hero of the faith to the Old Testament people, a significant and important uh, character in the Old Testament story, and, and absolutely uh, right also. But right away, the, uh, the Holy Spirit and God wants us to remember that Moses is nothing like Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was a faithful and as a servant in all of God's house, testifying what uh, would be said in the future. So Moses is a servant. Moses is a great servant. He's a great leader, but he's a servant, and he's a servant in God's house. And God's house is significant, but the builder of God's house is God himself. And that is who Jesus is. And if you see that the writer just uses God and Jesus interchangeably. Jesus was found greater, uh, found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Um, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And so he's simply saying that Jesus is God. Jesus is the builder. He's building, actually, on what he's being said uh, previously. And he uses God and Jesus interchangeably in this passage. And the God, again, there, there's some buzzwords. When you go through a book, you find there's quite often buzzwords, uh, kind of words that are used a lot. And here's another one. God is the builder of everything. We've seen that before. Everything. All things. All things. Everything. So he's reminding us that Jesus Christ is sovereign, even though we can't see it. We discussed that on Wednesday night at the city groups. But he's sovereign. He's supreme. He's over all things. He is the one who is not just a little bit in charge, not just a little bit in control, but he is the builder of everything. So everything that encompasses all of us here today, encompasses the world and the universe in which we live. And in many ways, what, what God is wanting us to be reminded of is where our, the focus of our life is, the focus. What, what are we fixing? So you've come in here this morning. We're all different. We're all unique. And we may all have, there may be as many different foci as there is people here. What, on what are we reliant? What is the focus of our life? Spiritually even, what's the focus of our Is it just being part of a good church? Do you want to be part of a good church? And there's a lot of trouble with that. Because when it just lets you down, what do you do? Where do you go? If you're relying on a good church or a good minister, he's even more likely to let you down. Or is it a, a Christian celebrity? Is it Tim Keller or Spurgeon or Martin Luther? Heroes of the faith. Are they who we focus our Christian lives on? Do we look for the latest book or the latest Christian thinking or the latest internet sensation uh, on which to focus our attention spiritually? We're reminded here that they, that we, that the church, we're all servants. If Moses, one of the greatest of all people uh, in the history of salvation, is a servant, then so are we. And if Moses made mistakes, which he did, we far more will make mistakes, as will the Christian uh, celebrities. On Wednesday night, our city group, we spoke a lot, and this happens again and again and again, as we speak a lot about hurt, and about the hurt that we get from churches, and how that can derail our faith, because our church, our community, our gospel experience is negative, isn't good. And so we kind of drift away because of that, and we isolate ourselves from that. 
Now, there is never an excuse for bad church experience. There's never a justification for it. But if that is what our focus is on, then we will always be let down and we will always struggle because he says, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Not on the church, not on the community, not on what you get on a Sunday primarily, but on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, bad churches and our drifting from them will always be a spiritual excuse. Ultimately, it may have justifiable reason, but it will be. It will never satisfy because we have to fix our eyes, not on people, not on a church, but on Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to balance that out later on, so you have to listen, because I'm going to balance it later on. It doesn't mean uh, that we regard the church as insignificant. Remember that. So, focus our eyes on Jesus Christ, the apostle and high priest, whom we confess. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we use our minds. Fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ. Fix your thoughts on Jesus Christ. I'm really into thinking again. I don't know about personally, probably not, but I like the idea of thinking. Thinking's really good. And we're living in a time and a generation where everything is screaming at us to not think. Don't think. Be distracted. Have a screen. Constantly be online. Always be in touch with people. Always be entertained. So many visual distractions, so many uh, societal distractions, and, and here we're encouraged to, to be thinking. That's a massive area. To think about Scripture, to stop, to rediscover silence. Can we rediscover that peaceful silence that enables our mind to delve into the person of Jesus Christ? Think about what the Bible says. Do you struggle with the Old Testament? Do you struggle with it as the Word of God? Has it got authority? Then you look at verse 7 of this chapter. It says, so as the Holy Spirit says, and it quotes a psalm from the Old Testament. So the, the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Spirit, has no problem with identifying all of the Old Testament, for example, as being from the Holy Spirit, even though it was written by David. So we think about these things. And it changes the way that we, we think about the Bible. We, we need to dig we need to feed our souls and feed, find silence. We have to do mental workouts. I don't like sometimes the... I recognize there's more to it, but sometimes the, the passivity of church, where everyone seems to be sitting back, relaxing, and the minister's kind of pulling his head out of the front. Uh, but I, I do think that we're all involved, even though some, some for some it's more physically passive than others, because we need to be thinking about God and what His, His Word is. We need to work out. It's not all going to be for us mental sound bites in the kingdom. We can't always just have a, a sweet phrase to trip through our day with. We do need to work and think and fix our eyes on Jesus. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally to the oldest Christian here let alone the youngest one. It's something that we battle with and we need to fix deliberately our attention on in order to do so. Fix our mind, our thoughts on Jesus. Uh, that's how we fix 
That's how Jesus is central by, uh, by thinking about him, but also uh, by confessing him. We recognize he is the one that we are to uh, confess in our lives, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. So we speak about him. That's how we fix our eyes on Jesus. We confess him. When people ask you about your Christianity, what do you say? I go to a church. Oh, I, bear, I believe a certain type of theology. I have a moral standard. Or do we confess Jesus Christ? Fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. He is the one we confess. It's not anything other than a person, with all the theology, of course, that goes behind that, but the person of Jesus Christ, this apostle. is the only place in the whole Bible he's described as apostle. Here, the sent one, the high priest, the one who is our uh, representative. The focus of our Christianity is, the, is Jesus Christ. Now, I hear some people as well that speak, say, oh, we're, we've moved into different territory now because Jesus has ascended. We should call him the Lord Jesus Christ and give him his, his rightful ascended title. Well, the writer to the Hebrews has no problem calling him just Jesus. Just Jesus. Our thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our faith. Of course he's our Lord. Of course he's the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can use these terms interchangeably. Fix our eyes on this one, this person. Can we do that? Confess him. When people ask us, can we confess that it is Jesus who is the one who's transformed our lives? And sure, invite them along to the communicate because we're the body of Christ. But it's to Jesus that we are introducing them. And we focus on eyes on him also by uh, living a certain kind of life. Therefore, holy brothers, holy uh, family members, brothers and sisters. This was probably written to the leaders of the church, so it's called uh, brothers. But it was to be given to all who were believers. Holy, set apart. Now, Ross, who's my youngest son, just moved into primary seven. And primary seven in uh, Gillespie's, they wear a different sweatshirt. Sets them apart. Different color, different design, because they're primary seven. They're big. They're the top of the school. And it gives them a sense of, I'm, I'm different. And a sense of responsibility. I'm primary seven now. I don't act like a primary one. I act like a primary seven. I'm going to be in a big school soon. So it sets them apart, what they wear. It's recently a wedding up in Fetter Cairn, and the bridesmaids all came. Now, bridesmaids usually wear different clothes, but these bridesmaids really wore different ones. They were green and yellow and red and like jungle colors. Beautiful it was, and they were all stunning, but they were set apart. From the moment you saw them, you knew that they were bridesmaids, set apart for a specific task that they had to do on the day, and they did it beautifully. They didn't blend in primary seven kids, don't blend in. You can see them a long way away. And we are called to be holy, which simply means as Christians, set apart. We're called, we're Christ's, and we're to be known as Christ. We spend so much of our time blending in, trying to be the same as everybody else. And he says, we fix our eyes on Jesus because we are called to be like Jesus. We are covered in the robe of his righteousness and we are called not just to blend in. Now, we're not called just to be weird and different for the sake of it. We're called to be like Jesus with all our own individual characters. And there's such a variety of characters here. You're not all to look the same 
or blend in the same way or say the same things, but with your own unique characters, you are to be like Jesus Christ, holy set apart. It's it's an underused word today. But we are to be set apart. We need to fix our eyes upon Jesus. So, the question for you and for me today is who, uh, who is the focus of our Christian lives? Are you dependent on your church fix or your church connections? And as soon as that goes then, or as soon as something happens that you don't like, then bang, it goes. Or is it on Jesus Christ? On Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I want to say. The first focus, be focused. The first point, my second point is be vigilant because that's what this chapter is also about. In verse 12, Holy Spirit says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So here is uh, this call, this uh, clarion call to be vigilant. This chapter is undoubtedly a chapter that holds warnings for us. we We must be alert to the warnings of Scripture because God knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. And I think the warning of this section about being vigilant, and can I really ask for your attention here, is the danger of finishing badly. It's easy to make a good start spiritually. It's easy in the first fling of youth, as it were, to make a good start. But this is a warning against finishing badly. The whole chapter, and we sung about it in, in Psalm 95 as well, is about the, it points back to the Israelites who started so well in following God and, and being redeemed out of uh, Egypt, slavery, they followed God. But it's the story of continued and relentless unbelief. That they didn't believe, that they didn't carry on, that they didn't go down the road of faith and trust, but that they dug their heels in and were moving towards a real bad finish. In fact, it was a terrible finish. They didn't get into the promised land because of their hard, sinful hearts of unbelief. And this is a chapter and a warning about turning away. I don't know the condition of your heart today spiritually. I don't know if you've never turned to him in the first place, but I'm convinced there may be someone here today who is thinking about turning away. And this isn't just someone... And this isn't just something that's about, "Ah, I'm struggling, I'm just going to take a break for a while. I'm not talking about that kind of... The word for turning away here is apostasy. It's making a really deliberate move away. It's a strong word. It's it's going against God deliberately and clearly. Having an unbelieving heart. And it's it's going to point towards the, the importance of the foundation you have. Because what becomes clear from the Old Testament story is that they didn't have the right foundation. Whatever they were focusing their eyes on, it wasn't on God. It was maybe on the promised land, or maybe it was on uh, freedom from slavery, or maybe it was from the miracles that they could see, and all that was great. But it wasn't fixing their eyes on their God and their Redeemer, and their foundation was wrong. And the parable of the sower is all about that, isn't it, as well? We, we can know a lot about Jesus and we can, we can even have a, a, kind of, a kind of confession of him. And I'm going to go on and speak about that in chapter 6, a really difficult chapter a while. But we're not founded on Jesus Christ. It might seem like it, but we're not. So the foundation is very important. And so we need to examine ourselves towards Jesus again, fixing your eyes on him. 
And so this chapter is very much about personal responsibility. Personal responsibility, okay? So, in a lot of it, he's saying here, you know, don't be like uh, those in the Old Testament. You guard, this is your heart. You stop going astray. You look out for your sinful and uh, unbelieving heart. And so basically what the Holy Spirit is saying, this is not God's fault. It's not God's fault that you don't believe. Unbelief is not neutral. Apostasy is not neutral. What you are in your character is not neutral. He's saying you have responsibility to make your calling and election sure. Your responsibility to recognize that you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Unbelief is culpable. Lots of people will say to me, oh, well, I, just, I would love to believe, but I can't. You know, they would say, they'll say that. I'd love to believe, but I can't believe. I know it's good for you, but it simply isn't for me. I say, well, I can't change our character. Can you cheat? I can't change the spots. We can't do anything about what we are. But even there's some people saying, well, I don't know if I'm the, the elect. And if I am, then that's fine. God will come and get me at some point. Phew! I'll know and I'll believe and it'll all happen to me. And this, there's a denial of personal responsibility. I can't help what I am. I can't help what I, I do. I can't help what I am. This is simply not good enough. It's not good enough before God because none of it will stand on that day before Him. I heard an atheist argument this last week where uh, it was a ludicrous argument at one level, but nonetheless it was an argument. They said uh, the worst thing about Christians is they de- their denial of taking responsibility for themselves. They take all their moral responsibility from a book because they can't make up their own mind about what's right and wrong. Now, give me five minutes with that guy. But, Nonetheless, maybe it's because he's seen that from Christians. Christians who are not taking personal responsibility and are hiding behind a book. It's not a book, is it? It's a relationship with the living God. Yes, we're enslaved. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, we can't save ourselves. But we are responsible for our heart to come to Christ to focus on Christ, to believe on Christ, and to stay with Christ with His help. If we are drifting, if if you're agnostic today, if you're waiting for God to zap you, then you're culpable. You're guilty before Him. You're responsible for your soul, and salvation is being offered. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming other people. That's what we do. We've done it from the very beginning. Eve did it from the very beginning. And Adam did it from the beginning. They blamed each other. And the devil. (laughs) And everyone else but themselves. And we've always been doing it. We blame the church. We blame the minister. We blame the Bible. We blame God. We blame our circumstances. We blame our hearts. We blame all kinds of things. And uh, the Holy Spirit is saying, stop blaming Others, do your business with God. Be vigilant. Come to God. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Be vigilant. And I'm just going to finish by asking the question, how? And this is where I'm coming back to the beginning. And as I said, I would about the church. How are we vigilant? What's, what does God... If you think God had one word here or one 
uh, way of encouraging us to be vigilant to fix your eyes on Jesus, what do you think it would be? Well, the great thing is this is a challenge against drifting and against unbelief. What's the antidote he gives here? And it's a brilliant paradoxical reality. He says, you have personal responsibility, but it's in the context of being in a community of believers. He says, what does he say? Encouragement. That's what we do. You know, see to it, brothers, verse 12, none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, but encourage one another daily. Isn't that brilliant? Because we can all fix our eyes on Jesus. We can all be vigilant because we can all be encouragers of one another. It's a, it's a kind of fusion thing here, isn't there? There's personal responsibility and there's community. Some of the guys here, and girls, I think, in the summer did Tough Mudder. Okay, that's a good example. Tough Mudder, you've got to start as a team. You've got to you go through mud and you've got to be electrocuted and you've got to run 12 miles and you've got to walk over walls. and It's a, an assault course, but you do it as a team. You start as a team and you finish as a team, but you've got to do it all yourself as well. So there's this kind of dual thing going on. You're encouraging the other people. You know, you don't... You know, there's not one some superstar that goes and tries to finish his first in the team. No one likes a big shot like that. You wait, and you encourage the person who's last. And you say, you're doing great, keep it going. And that's what the Christian life is. No one's that interested in the spiritual giant that, that gallops off into the sunset without any issues or problems or hassles. We stop and encourage one another in our vigilance. It's so simple, but it's so profound. It so balances our self-obsession and also our ridiculous perversion of Scripture that allows us to think that only Jesus can help us in our pursuit of holiness. And the church is just a hindrance. Generally, that's an excuse for spiritual pride and self-righteousness. We need one another because that's God's model and that's God's pattern. The Trinity is a divine society of perfect, glorious encouragement. And we are to reflect that in uh, our congregational life, which is to be one of encouraging one another. That's how we can be vigilant. That's how we can fix our eyes on Jesus, by encouraging one another. Help one another in the faith. Spend time with one another. Pray with one another. Live for one another. Twice in this chapter, at the beginning and at the end, we're told that we are sharing in a heavenly calling. Verse 1 says we share in a heavenly calling. And at the end, we're told in verse uh, 14 that we are those who share in Christ. See that emphasis of sharing, of being together in the Christian life. And it's not that you go up to your fellow Christian and say, oh, come on, buck up. Stop sinning. Stop being rubbish in the Christian faith or, or finding fault or being judgmental. That's not what's meant by it. The antidote to unbelief is being together spiritually, encouraging one another. The, the, our experience is normally opposite, isn't it? When we're struggling with unbelief, what do we tend to do? We tend to come away from the fellowship. We tend to recoil from fellowship and from Christian company. 
And very often we'll find it easy to blame Christian company for where we are spiritually. So is it the church's fault that I've backslidden? Now it might be part of it. But ultimately, we need to work through that hurt, seek forgiveness, and find in that forgiveness there's a deepening of our relationship together. That's what we need most, encouragement. You know, who's going to be great in the kingdom in the last great day? Who's going to be great? Is it going to be the Christian celebrities? Is it going to be the great leaders? No, I don't think so. I think in heaven, the great people in the kingdom will be the encouragers, the, the ordinary people, the little ladies, and the, the old and, and the young men who take time, and the young women and, and old women, who take time to see their own fragility and the fragility of others, who empathize, who take other Christians aside and point them to Jesus, who sacrifice, who will text someone uh, on a rubbish morning and say, I'm thinking about you and praying for you today. Keep it going. Who will have a word in their ear, who will smile and say, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the great people. They will be the great people in the kingdom. And the whole idea here as well is of, um, I think, of preaching, as well as being encouraging and, and challenging and uplifting. It's the, the idea of the encouragement here is the kind of idea of a, 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 a commander inspiring and rallying his troops because the odds are very difficult and, and great. You know, will you fight? What, 2,000 against 10? No, we will run and live. Oh yeah, fight and you may die. Run and you will live at least for a while and dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days for this day, to, from this day to that, for one chance, just one chance to come back here as young men and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. That's a good quote, isn't it? That's exactly the kind of encouragement that's been spoken of. We have to be spiritual brave hearts towards one another. Okay? It's the first and last time you'll ever hear me quoting Mel Gibson from the pulpit. Okay? But remember that. That's the kind of thing that is being spoken of here. And that's what we need. We love that, don't we? Not because it, it rubs our ego, but because we're broken. And because we're struggling. And we don't need anyone to tell us how rubbish we are as Christians, because we know that. We need to be told that Jesus Christ is the one that we fix our eyes on. And he's the one that is not ashamed to call us brothers. That's what's important. And we do it, and I finish with this, daily. So he says, encourage one another daily. It's not just once a year we'll have a, a, a day of encouragement. It's not like that. It's going to be that we do it daily. You know, that's the struggle. That's the battle. That's the reality for us. Keep your short account with God. Don't just go to God once a month, fixing your eyes uh, on him and getting your account. Keep your account short. Speak with him. Get it right today. This is all about today. It often speaks about it here in this passage. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you're not a Christian, today, don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't promised. It never is. Don't think that you have a plan of becoming a Christian sometime later in your life when you're near the grave and you've done all the things you want to do. Because you're not guaranteed that. Today is the only day that we're guaranteed. And that is the context in which we live our lives. If you're burdened for if you dream about someone tonight that you haven't dreamed about for ages, phone them tomorrow. Phone them and say, I'm thinking about you. Pray and, and do it daily. Walk with people. Come into their lives. Spend time with them. 
be with other people. God doesn't give us a complex manual for living the Christian life. It's a very simple way. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus and be vigilant and help everyone else be vigilant. When you spend time together, don't make Jesus the unwelcome guest in your conversation. Fix your eyes on him. So you see the significance of personal responsibility and also community, biblical community. It's simply not an option to bail out. We have, with all our failings and faults and and misery, to, to be together. The solitary Christian life fosters unbelief. I say that as a guarantee. If you are unable to be in Christian community because it's either too broken or or too full of error or just too much hassle, then I say you will feed unbelief in your heart because we all need encouragement. And may it be that that's it. We do that here, and I want us to do it more and more because if we do that, we will be part of an amazing family here. And I don't mean that we'll be great and we'll take any attention to ourselves or anything like that. And I'm not saying we'll not make mistakes. We'll make hundreds of mistakes. But it will be amazing to be part of this community if we are encouragers towards Jesus Christ. That means looking around. It means seeing the people who are struggling. It means empathizing. It means not just being with your own crew. It means not just socializing. It means looking out for others with all our failure. And I think then the city will be turned upside down if we have Christians who... Uh, follow this Holy Spirit injunction to be fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ and being vigilant uh, in so doing. May that be the case in our lives. Amen. Um, I'd like to pray just at this point. I pray God will apply that to our own lives, to our own circumstances. And if you need to repent and think of things and apply that to your own life, then I hope you'll do that in these short moments. I would also like to pray for uh, uh, Lachie and CJ, who were with us for the last three years, and whose induction some of the congregation were up at on Friday. And, uh, you know, they've got a, a great church, a great day, and I was able to bring greetings from the congregation here. And, uh, but they've got a great challenge. Today will be a great day for them. There'll be lots of people there, lots of visitors. But then next Sunday, they'll all have gone. And the harsh reality of living a million miles, really, from I was going to say humanity. Um, from civilization? No, that's not what I mean. It's such a hard place to get to, and uh, once you're there, there's lots of people who need Christ. And uh, pray for them because it will be a battle, and they will be opposed. And yet, we believe very strongly God has, has, has placed them there. So I'd like to pray uh, for them also today. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we ask and pray that you would take your, your word and that you would apply it to our hearts where we need it. Uh, We thank you that you water our hearts at the point of the deepest drought, that you don't have each truth is not equally significant or important for each of us, but that there are things that we need, all of us, from your word. And we pray, I pray particularly for any who might be here today who was hoping for a quiet hour of uh, uh, maybe even boredom, who has no interest in Jesus Christ, 
and who has no thought of his lordship or of his responsibility or her responsibility, and who think that uh, were they to die today, they would be able to make their excuses towards him. May you take them with the hands of love that you have and uh, point them uh, to the finished work of Jesus Christ that is the only answer to our need. And bless us all, bless young and old alike. We pray for those of us who are getting older that we would remember the danger of not finishing well and the importance of fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. And those who are younger, particularly in the faith, that they would make sure their foundations are good and strong in Him and that they would not simply rely on friends or on Sunday or on anything else, but that they would build a relationship with the living God in their young lives, which will be will stand them in good stead and will enable them to finish strongly and persevere in the kingdom. Pray for Lachie and CJ and Isabella and their unborn child today. We remember them as they begin their work uh, with all the excitement and uh, um, novelty of the work that they're engaged in. We pray that uh, in discouragements, he will fix his eyes on Jesus, that the community will be an encourager, an encouraging community, and that they would be encouragers And Lord, all of us can do that. We don't need any special gifts. We don't need any special insight, any special biblical knowledge, any training, any length of time in the kingdom we can all be encouragers. What a glorious responsibility. May that be ours this day. And help us as we sing together, as we respond to your truth in praise and adoration. May we do so from our hearts. Amen.